Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. All righty, well, welcome, uh, everyone, uh, to our uh, Bible study in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, which, of course, is the uh, Lord's Prayer. And this is the uh, fourth installment of this lesson, When You Pray. Um, I would like to tell you we're going to finish up tonight, but we're not. Um, and we probably won't finish next week, and I've got my doubts about the week after that. So just keep, uh, just keep hanging in there. I, I have every intention to finish, uh, and then I get in on one thing, and it's like, okay, there's just too much uh, here. Let's read our scripture, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, very familiar. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, so very quickly, let's just review what we've learned so far. And this will probably be the last time that we cover these particular items, but I just want to make a couple of uh, clarification points, if, if I can. The first thing that we've learned is that this prayer is a what's called a pattern prayer. Uh, it's not meant to be uh, uh, repeated verbatim. You can certainly do that as long as your heart is in it and your mind is engaged, uh, but that's not the point of it, which is unfortunately the way the vast majority of Christians do it today. They just recite it from, uh, from, from memory. But that's not, that's not the point. It is a pattern prayer. Now, I want to say this, and I want to be clear. I'm not saying, and I certainly don't think Jesus means, that every single time you pray, you have to follow this pattern. I don't think that. I think there's going to be times where you can pray sincere prayers that don't follow this pattern. Uh, I was thinking of some examples, and one I thought of was in uh, Matthew 14, 30. Uh, Y'all all know the story. Uh, the disciples are out in a boat. Jesus uh, comes walking on the water. Uh, there's a big storm. Peter says, Lord, bid me come. And, and Jesus says, come on then. And he gets up and starts walking on the water. He gets scared. He starts to drown, and he prays. And what does he pray? He don't say, our Father, who art in heaven. He says, Lord, save me. That's a sincere prayer. There's certainly times we can, that we're going to pray that's not necessarily this pattern. But here's the thing. There is such incredible benefits in following the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. Somebody was telling me Sunday that they have been praying this past week following this, this pattern. And, and they were just telling me how much it's improved their their prayer life and I believe that there are incredible benefits to following this pattern we'll talk about some more of them tonight so I think we don't have to do it but we certainly in my opinion should do it as much as we possibly 
uh, can. Uh, the second thing we noted about this prayer is that it always begins our Father in heaven. Now, I just want to say this one more time that this really sets the atmosphere, for lack of a better term, when you pray. Uh, we're not praying like heathens. We're not praying like pagans. We don't, we don't have to flail and beat ourselves over the back and make, make blood come out. We don't have to sacrifice our children. We don't have to, 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 to do all these crazy things that people seem to want to do to make God or their God hear them. We are not praying to some far-off deity. We are coming to our Father. Folks, that changes everything. Whether we, that, that should always be first thing in our mind when we, uh, when we pray. I mean, think about it this way. This nearness, this intimacy, this relationship, your ability to be able to call God your Father was purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross. He did that for you. So you can come boldly, as the book of Hebrews says, before the throne of grace. Anytime, any place, anywhere, you can come and talk to your Father. The third thing that we've learned so far about this prayer, and I said last week, I'll say it again. If you don't take anything else away from this, these series of lessons, remember this. Is there are two divisions to this prayer. Now, here's why this is so important. Can we all admit that we are uh, naturally selfish? Can we admit that? We are self-loving, self-serving, self-pitying, self-willed. The list goes on and on and on. Which leads to, I think, our biggest misconception about prayer. And that is, oftentimes, we come in prayer, and we think the priority of this prayer is my name and my kingdom and my will. Not the Father's name and the Father's kingdom and the Father's will, but my name and my kingdom and my will. But that's not the priority. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you put him first. What he's showing us here, and we'll talk about this more next week, is one of the purposes of prayer that I think many of us miss is that one of the purposes of prayer is to conform our will to the Father's. It's not about just come, God, I need you to do this, but it's really about, first and foremost, conforming our will to his will. Prayer is not a way to get what we want, but a way to become what God wants us to be. Robert Law said this, Prayer is not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. Now, that's a good statement. Because most of us think it's about, hey, God, would you do this for me? Would, would you make some pronouncement up there that this is going to happen and, 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 and the, it kind of flows down to me? No, it's about God's will being done on earth first and foremost. And, this, and putting him first brings us to that right perspective. So please, if you don't get anything else out of this, please, please get this principle. We begin our prayer with him. Not ourselves, not our will, not what we want, not what we need. It always starts with him. Once you get, you talk about him and once you deal with what he wants from us, then you've got the perspective, the proper perspective. And it's only then that you can actually pray correctly or properly for yourself. Now, last week we looked at our first petition, uh, the first thing we're asking for, and that is the hallowing or the honoring 
of God's name. And, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because i got too much to cover. But as I said last week, this is a petition. You are asking that God's name, and by his name, we mean his character. We mean his attributes. We mean his reputation. That his name and character and attributes and reputation will be held in reverence. Certainly by the world, but also certainly in my life. Now, most of us, I think, can pray that pretty easy. I don't think we much of we really have a problem praying, hallowed be your name. But I'm about to tell you, it's fixing to get a lot harder. It's fixing to get a lot harder, some of the things that we're going to have to pray. So let's turn to the second one. We see it in verse 10. He says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if I ask some of you here tonight... What is the kingdom of God? Could you explain it? If somebody just stopped you and said, hey, I've been reading the Gospels and I see this term, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, what does that mean? Can you explain it to them? Do you understand what the kingdom of God is? By the way, it's important we understand it because Jesus is saying pray for it. He's saying pray, your kingdom come. It's going to be difficult for us to pray that and mean it if we don't have a clue what it really means. So tonight, for the time that we have, we are going to talk about the kingdom of God, or or what's also known as the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a major, major theme in the New Testament, uh, especially in the Gospels. In the first three Gospels alone, that term, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, is used 103 times. Uh, John the Baptist, it was the entire focus of his ministry. Remember, he's, he's the forerunner. He's the one that's coming to pave the way for Jesus. And the whole focus of his ministry is repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is, it is on top of you. You need to repent. That was, his whole, that was, about, that was basically what his whole ministry was, was all about. Jesus preached it as he went from town to town. The thing that he preached was the good news of the kingdom of God. There was a, a place one time in Luke 4 where he was there and they tried to get him to stay. He, was, he, was, he needed to leave and they said, won't you stay? Stay longer. And he said, I can't. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns. That is the reason that I was sent. Now, here's the thing. Jesus and John the Baptist are going around preaching about the kingdom of God. And the Jews, they were very aware of that term. This wasn't anything new to them. They were very familiar with that term, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. In fact, they were waiting for that kingdom because the Old Testament was absolutely full of scriptures referring to it. I'm going to give you a couple of them. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7 says this, For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. So again, they're expecting this eternal kingdom 
to to come when the Messiah comes. Here's another one, Daniel 2.44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So the Jews, in the days of Jesus, they're sitting there, and they're waiting for this kingdom. They're waiting for this Messiah to come and, and, and establish this earthly kingdom. And here comes John, and he's preaching out in the wilderness, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here comes Jesus, and he's, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom. I mean, they're, they're on pins and needles. They, they think this is it, man. We are the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is about to be established. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to kick these Romans out. He's going to destroy all the unbelievers. And he's going to set up a kingdom of righteousness that's going to last forever. That's what they thought. But it turned out that the Old Testament didn't tell the whole story. That God had other plans. And, the, and here's the thing. Jesus in his ministry, reveals these plans, what he calls the secrets of the kingdom, and he reveals them through parables. Let me give you a scripture, Mark chapter 4. And he said, this is Jesus, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? Or how do we, what parable can I use to explain the kingdom of God? And if you actually go read Mark 4, I believe he goes on to tell the parable of the mustard seed. And then he says this, with many such, or, or Mark says this, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So what he's doing is he, he's using parables to, to preach to the Jews about the kingdom, what this kingdom is going to look like. And then he would go off privately and he would explain these things to his disciples. In Matthew 13, the disciples ask him, why are you doing that? Why are you, why are you talking to them in parables? And Jesus said to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. So here they are, they're reading all this Old Testament scripture about this, king, this kingdom of righteousness that the Messiah is going to bring, it's going to be eternal. And Jesus is pulling them and saying, no, it's not going to be like that. And he, he speaks to them in a veiled way through parables, and then he explains it to his disciples privately. But Jesus has things that he needs to talk to us about and how this kingdom is going to be. Now, there's a lot of secrets, if you will, to this kingdom. But the primary mystery that God or that Christ revealed was that his kingdom, at least for a while, was not going to be a physical or geographical kingdom. See, that's what they expected. They expected him to set up an earthly kingdom. And he reveals this through parables that, no, that's not going to happen right now. My kingdom's not going to be a physical kingdom or a geographical kingdom. In John 18, Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? And he said, my kingdom, in other words, yes, I am a king. I have a kingdom, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from this world. Later on in, in the book of Romans, uh, the apostle Paul will say this, that the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's not about physical things. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual kingdom. So that's what Jesus was referring to when he refers to his kingdom. He's referring to a spiritual kingdom where he reigns as Lord over his people. I heard somebody refer to God's kingdom as God's people under God's rule. That's the kingdom of God. It's God's people under God's rule. Now, here's the thing. One day, his kingdom will become a physical kingdom. One day, he will set up his kingdom here on this earth. And it will be a geographical, physical kingdom. But in the interim, right now, it is only a spiritual uh, kingdom. Now, we live in this same period, right? We live in the interim. So, what does this kingdom look like right now? What should we expect the kingdom of God to, what are the attributes of it? What does it look like? Well, let's go look at a few of the parables that Jesus used. Now, there are 10, at my count, and I might not be perfectly right here, but I believe there are 10 parables in the Gospels that Jesus uses to describe the kingdom of God. I'm only going to give you four of them. But I want you, let's see on these parables, what can we learn about the kingdom, okay? Let's start with Luke 19. It says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Well, there you go, right? That's what the Jews thought. They thought, okay, it's coming. It's right now. He's going to set up an earthly kingdom. And he's like, no, it's not going to be like that. Let me tell you a parable. And here's the parable that he tells. He said, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. Now, a mina was three months wages for a a typical laborer. So basically, he gave them about two and a half years of salary. So he gave them ten minas and he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him, and they sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And I won't read the whole parable, but uh, one guy that had gotten ten, got he gained ten more, and, and Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And another guy that he had gave 10 gained five and Jesus said well done and then of course one guy hid it in a hole or hid it in a handkerchief and uh, Jesus wasn't happy about that but he goes on to say but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them bring them here and slaughter them before me okay now this is what this parable tells us in this parable he's telling us that the king is going to go away that the king is going to leave for a little while. But he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to judge each and every person for what they did while he was gone. How faithful were you with the gifts that he had given you? How faithful were you with the faith that he had given you? And the faithful are going to be rewarded and the unfaithful will be judge but again they had never heard anything like this that the king's going to go away what's he talking about what kind of king goes away and then comes back but that's part of this kingdom how about this one this is the parable of the weeds 
Matthew 13, 24 to 30, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God can be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servant of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How do you have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? Do you want us to go and gather them? And he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, I, I did, uh, I don't know, two or three years ago now, I, to- I taught through a series on all the parables, and uh, we covered each and every parable. This was a really interesting parable. The, the weed that Jesus is referring to is actually a plant that, that grew in Palestine in that day. I'm not sure if it still does. It's called Darnell, okay, D-A-R-N-E-L. That's the name of it. And it's actually so similar looking to wheat that in some regions of the Middle East, it's actually referred to as false wheat. Because when they're growing, you, I mean, you cannot tell them uh, apart. This is actually what they look like. The one on the left is the weed, and the one on the right is the wheat. And they are very, very similar. In fact, they they are so similar and they bear such a close resemblance to each other that the only way you can tell them apart is you have to wait until the fruit appears, until the head of the wheat. That's how the servants were able to recognize it. And they're like, oh, the wheat's putting off these heads of of grain and there's the weeds, right? By the way, I'll just throw this in for free. This is what Jesus says. You will recognize them by their fruit. Let me tell you, you want to know if you're saved, you want to know if you're going to heaven, you want to know if you're born again, examine your fruit. Where's the fruit? False believers can say the right things, but the fruit is always going to be there in true believers. That's how we recognize them. Now, what is Jesus teaching us in this parable? He's telling them that in this kingdom, in this interim kingdom, not everybody is going to be righteous. Now, here's the thing. You cannot imagine how shocking this would have been to those disciples. Remember some of those scriptures I read. They were expecting the kingdom of God to be full of righteous people. They thought the the bad people, the evil people, the the unbelievers, they were all going to be destroyed. They were all going to be put out. They were all going to be punished. They were all going to be judged. The kingdom was only going to be full of of righteous people, but parables like this changed all of that. You see, that, again, they, they never heard of a concept of, a, of, a, of the kingdom of God where you had a mixture of both good and bad mingled together. This was entirely new to them. You see the same thing in the parable of the net, Matthew thirteen forty seven to 40. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be, Jesus said, at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. 
in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, simple parable. The net is the kingdom. The fish are all these people. Again, he's saying that there's going to be good and bad mixed together. And it's going to stay that way until the end of the age. There's going to be an interim period where you got to live, the good people got to live among the bad people. The righteous people got to live among the unrighteous people. The angels are going to sort it out at the end. So Jesus is, is telling us back then, this is how it's going to be. This is what this interim kingdom is going to look like while we wait for his return. Let me give you another one where he tells us something even more different. The parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 18 to 23. Y'all know this one, the, the rocky ground, some fell among thorns, some fell among good ground. He goes off and explains it uh, to his disciples, and I won't read the whole thing. But he says this, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and prove it unfruitful. Jesus is saying there's going to be people that hear the word and think this is, this is, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. This is the answer. Jesus is it's what I've been looking for. And they're going to be just like, yeah, they receive it with joy. They're on fire. And they don't last. They don't last. They may wither away because there's no root. They, they're choked out by the tribulations and cares and other things of the world. So what he's telling us here is that in this interim kingdom, there will be a false righteousness. Again, these, these disciples have never heard anything like this. Not only is there a mixture of the good and the bad, sometimes you're not going to be able to tell them apart. It's going to take a while. So I was thinking about that this week. How many, hopefully none of you here, but how many over the years have you known that have been disillusioned, become disillusioned with the faith? They go to church for a while and they're, I mean, they're active. They're in there. But maybe something happens. Maybe somebody offended them. Maybe they got hurt. Maybe they just saw the hypocrisy in the church and they got disillusioned with the faith and they're nowhere to be found i use this scripture hebrews twelve fifteen, in my sermon this past sunday and i believe that's what he's talking about right here he says this the writer of hebrews see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of god by the way he's saying be sure that nobody don't fail to reach salvation don't don't fail to to, to gain hold of eternal life and watch what he says, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. How many have allowed a bitterness to take root inside of them and drive them away from the faith? Because they've heard it, because they're offended, or because they've just uh, seen the hypocrisy sometimes in the church. And the writer's warning, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. But here's the thing, Jesus told us this is how it's going to be. That's what he told us. It shouldn't surprise any of us that there's going to be good mixed with the bad. It shouldn't surprise any of us 
that there will be a false righteousness, that there will be hypocrites, there, that there will be some that endure for a while and then fall away because Jesus told us all of this in the parables. He explained this is what the kingdom of God is going to look like. So this is the interim kingdom that you and I live in today. It is a mixture of the good and the bad. It is a mixture of the saved and the unsaved. And at the end of the age, the angels are going to sort it all out. They're going to come and they're going to take the weeds, they're going to take the unbelievers, and they're going to be cast into hell while the believers will enter that great and glorious final kingdom of God. Now, let's come back to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, your kingdom come. So what are we praying for? What are we praying for? You see, in a sense, the kingdom is already here, is it not? The kingdom's in me. The kingdom's in you. If we're, if we're submitting to his lordship, then he is our king. And I am part of the kingdom of God. He told the Jews one time, you don't say, well, here's the kingdom or there's the kingdom. No, the kingdom is in you. So in a sense, the kingdom is already here. So what am I exactly praying for? Well, let me say this. I certainly think that when I pray or you pray, your kingdom come, you are asking that God would manifest his kingdom fully in your life. I mean, let's, let's face it. How many of you got a mixture of good and bad? How many of us need to get rid of some stuff in our life? How many of us, like I said, a Christian is all, Jesus said at the end of chapter 5, be perfect. That is our goal. That is what we press toward. And one day we will reach that goal in the kingdom. But not now, but we move in that direction. We should be growing in holiness. So when we pray your kingdom come, we're certainly saying, God, your kingdom come in my life. I also think that we're certainly praying that God's kingdom would come in the lives of others. In the, life, in, in the lives of those here in this country or in our state or in our county or in our family or on my job. So in essence, we're praying, you know, God, use me to spread your kingdom. And I, I think those two things are certainly covered, but I don't think that's the focus. I don't think that's the focus. More than anything, I think when he says your kingdom come, he's saying that you should be praying for that final and ultimate and glorious establishment of God's physical kingdom here on this earth. Your kingdom come. Now, again, it'll be a day when there's no more good mixed with the bad. No more pretenders. No more hypocrisy. No more, no more people profaning his name. No more blasphemers. Just a kingdom of righteousness. That is what we are praying for. In other words, we are praying for that glorious return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that that's, I think, what he means more than anything else, that we are praying for that final kingdom. We are praying for the return of Jesus Christ. Well, if you go back to the Greek here, and we don't normally do this. I'm certainly not a Greek scholar 
and I try not to look at uh, Greek words and all that if I if I can help it. But here, I think it tells us something. The Greek here uses something called the aorist imperative, which is basically a command calling for urgent action. Literally, when he says, your kingdom come, he's saying, let your kingdom come now. It's like, do it now. Bring it now. Do it immediately. Right this second. It's not some vague prayer that the kingdom's come sometime out in the future. It's come now. Well, see, once again, I don't think that's praying for the kingdom in me because it's already here. I think it's praying for that future, final, once and for all establishment of the kingdom of God. Now, by the way, of all the parts of the Lord's Prayer, I think this is the part that is the most difficult for you and I to be sincere about. Okay, and I want you to listen really close to me. I think that it is very hard for us to pray this, your kingdom come, Sincerely, because behind this prayer is the desire for it to happen immediately. Right now. If I ask you today, are you really ready for Jesus to come back? And I'm going to hook you up to a lie detector. Are you really ready for Jesus to come back? Right now. If, if most of us are honest, many of us would probably say no. Now, why? Why would you say no? I mean, isn't that all what we're waiting for, to see him face to face, to be like him? No more pain, no more sorrow, no more all those wonderful and great promises. Shouldn't we want him to come back right now? But I would suspect that the vast majority of Christians would probably say no. And if I drilled in a little deeper and I said, okay, let, let's talk about that for just a moment. Why not? The fact is, most people, what's the old saying? We all want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. Right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there. The fact is, most of us, if you're really honest, this is what you'd say. Something like, well, you know, I'm ready. I want him to come back after I get married. I want him to come back, but but I want to wait until I have kids. I want him to come back, but I really want to wait until I have grandkids. I'm ready for him to come back, but I sure want to take that trip to Hawaii before he does. You see, at the end of the day, the reason you're not ready for him to come back is because you still want to experience your own kingdom. The reason you're not ready for his kingdom because you're still deep down all about your own kingdom. Are you with me? Do you see why Jesus, why this is such a beautiful prayer? Do you see why Jesus wants us to put God first in our prayers? Because how can we pray correctly for our own needs if we haven't first repented of the selfishness that's inside of us? Before I should ever even get to give me my daily bread or forgive us of our sins or lead us not into temptations. Before I get any of that, can I really and truly pray your kingdom come? And if I can't, then I've got to look inside myself and say, why? 
Am I really so in love with my own name and my own kingdom and my own will that I can't sincerely pray that? See, this, this should convict every single one of us when we really understand what you're saying. When you really understand what you're praying for, your kingdom come, it should, it should convict us because most of us can't say that because we're too busy promoting our own kingdom see folks listen at the end of the day sin is disloyal to the king putting our kingdom and our priorities and our will ahead of his is disloyal to the king we're we're trading our own his flag over us for our own flag we're we're basically putting ourselves on the throne that is a constant battle that every single one of us has. And when Jesus, that's why this prayer is so incredible. Because Jesus just says, look, before you come and ask for anything, look at yourself. Look at yourself. Are you really wanting his kingdom first? Before we pray for ourselves, we almost, this petition, I, I, I know for me, and I'm probably for you, it's going to bring us to uh, repentance. So if we're going to follow this pattern of prayer, We're going to have to constantly repent, constantly repent of putting our kingdom ahead of his. It's almost as if I was thinking about this this week that you remember I said last week that Jesus is showing us a better way to pray, a better way to pray. And it's almost here with your kingdom come that we, you know, we come to Jesus and and in our minds we're thinking, all right, man, I, I got to get some stuff done here. I'm, I'm going to ask for this, and I'm going to ask for that, and I'm going to ask for this. And Jesus is saying, by following this prayer, he's, he's saying, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up. Get it off of yourself. And look out there and see he's coming. His kingdom is coming. He's right around the corner. He's coming. And then when we see that, we can cry. I mean, this should be the cry of our hearts. Come, Lord Jesus. Not at some distant future after I've established my kingdom and done all the things. No, come now. Come immediately and bring your kingdom with you. Let me tell you, when we pray like that, when we pray like that, let me tell you, folks, that changes everything. That changes everything. When you begin to put his kingdom, and next week we'll look at his will, and you think that's hard to pray, wait till next week. Because when you say, your will be done, that's as hard as it gets. That's as, not only is that as hard as it gets, that's as scary as it gets. Because you're basically saying to him, Lord, do whatever you need to do so that your will be done in my life. That's a scary prayer. But that's what we'll look at next week. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you so, so much for your word. We thank you for this incredible, incredible prayer. I know it's changing the way that I pray. I know, Lord, that I've heard from others. It's changing the way that they pray. So we just thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you took the time to speak to your disciples those years ago and say, this is how you should pray. And, Father, if we'll just listen, if we'll just adhere to that, what incredible benefits we will find in our prayer life. And I pray that many in this church We'll see their prayer life just explode and be so much more vibrant than it ever has in the past. 
Father, we love you. We pray even tonight, Father, for our pastor. Uh, we pray for his health. We pray for him spiritually and physically and emotionally. That God, as he takes this time away, God, we just ask that you touch him. God, we ask that you speak to him. We pray, God, that you invigorate him. That, God, you give him the word that he needs uh, for this time in his life. There's so many other needs, Lord, in this body. And, Father, I just I do one more time what your word says. We honor your name first. We praise your name. God, may your name be honored in this country. May your name be honored in this church. May your name be honored in this family. God, may your kingdom come. Oh, God, may your kingdom come now. We're looking for you, God. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, wipe away, push back this, all these notions of our kingdom that we have in our heart and replace it with just a hope and an expectation of your kingdom like we've never had before. And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You are dismissed. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.